Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 11. <clears throat> the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, <clears throat> which is Jesus Christ. Now, when we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, we began to talk about what is being mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And that is that the Apostle Paul <clears throat> has been giving in this first letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, uh, he is <clears throat> encouraging them away from carnality, away from worldliness, and trying to, <clears throat> of course, as soon as I get started. <clears throat> My voice has been fine all week, and as soon <clears throat> as I get started, it goes out on me this morning. <clears throat> I will be with you momentarily. <clears throat> Amen. Brother Ben, if you don't mind, give me a little bit in the mic, <clears throat> and that way I'll at least feel like I'm doing a better job than I am. <clears throat> But the Apostle Paul here is trying to encourage these Corinthians that have been <clears throat> recognized that he has seen that they are very worldly, they are very <clears throat> carnal, they are very, uh, they are very attached to the things of the world. <clears throat> They're not as spiritual as they need to be. And here we find that he is dealing with their carnality. He says there in verse number one <clears throat> that he could not speak unto them as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. In other words, uh, they had been saved for a number of years, but he is still speaking to them and teaching them as if they have just gotten saved, as if they have not grown in their faith because in actuality they have not. They've stayed at that entry level of Christian growth where they get saved and they haven't moved very far beyond it. And he deals with some uh, ways that, they, that he sees their carnality. Verse 3, he talks about envying. Uh, verse 3, he talks about strife and divisions. Uh, verse number 4, he talks about in the verses that follow, uh, talks about arguments uh, concerning who their uh, favorite preachers were, whether it was Paul, whether it was Apollos and some of the like. And so, uh, those kind of things. Any Anytime uh, you see arguments taking place, there's carnality involved. Anytime there is strife between uh, believers, there is carnality involved. Anytime uh, there is envy or divisions amongst God's people, you can rest assured uh, that somebody, if not a group of somebody's in uh, that particular division, envy, strife, uh, argument, situation, that at least one, if not more than one, are not where they need to be with the Lord. At least they are not following the leadership of God uh, in that, because it's not God's will for us to be at each other's throats. Amen. It's not God's will for us to be fighting or even envious of each other. It's God's will that there be peace among the body of Christ, unity amongst the body of Christ, and contentment with where we are with the Lord. But as he talks about this, he begins to talk about 
about uh, the uh, the ministry of a believer in verse number nine. He says one of the reasons why we are not to be fighting amongst ourselves is because uh, it, it, it especially as he mentions the division between Paul and Apollos and the ministers uh, that God used in their life that, that caused them, verse number five, to come to Christ. He says it's not that one is doing more than the other, but if each one is following the Lord, what is happening happening is Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles he planted he laid a foundation and then others that have come along have just simply built on that foundation I mentioned a couple of weeks ago it's kind of like our situation here most of you know I'm the second pastor of our church uh, Dr. Caldwell there on the back row he's our, he was our founding pastor pastored here for 29 years and he laid a foundation and when I've come along I've just tried to build on that foundation. And so that's what we, we all stand on the shoulders of somebody else. Uh, none of us got to where we are with the Lord by and of ourselves. We are as I've said in preaching before we are a sum of those. Uh, our, our ministries and our lives for God is a sum of those who have uh, discipled us and, and implanted truth in us. Those uh, individuals that have ministered in our lives you take all of them up together and you sum all of those into a grand total and that is what we are and so therefore that's what Paul is saying here to these Corinthians uh, that him and Apollos are not and also the other ministers they are not enemies one to another but they are working together and they are co-laborers and it shouldn't be seen as anything other than that a spiritual mind realizes that when it comes to serving God and working in the great commission work of the Lord Jesus we that are genuinely saved and born again are not enemies one to another, but rather our fellow laborers one with another. We may not always do each everything the same. Our personalities may be different. Our approaches may be different to how we do certain things. But if we are in love with Jesus, saved by the grace of God and doing our best to serve Him, we are serving as fellow laborers together. And so as he mentions there that as he is the apostle of the Gentiles, he mentions that uh, that he has planted in verse 6 verse number 9 he talks about them being labors together with God not only do we labor together with each other but in actuality we are laboring together with God God does not leave us in his service to serve alone but he empowers us and enables us uh, to work together for him and so he talks about there in verse number 10 about the different roles of ministry and how we all have a role and none of us is to be subservient to the other or superior to the other because we all have our own individual role. Paul in verse number 10 and 11 talks about his role. His role as the apostle to the Gentiles as uh, this great individual that wrote 14 of the 27 books of our New Testament. The apostle Paul is one uh, that God had given the specific task to be the man that lays the foundation for the New Testament church. Paul embraced that and embodied that foundation work and we see it mentioned here in verse number 10 and verse number 11 according verse 10 says to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another buildeth their own that would be Apollos that would be the other ministers and by proxy of this text you and I being saved serving Jesus living for Jesus we are essentially ourselves with our own lives and our own ministries and our own service for the Lord 
Lord, we are part of this group that is another that is building upon that which the Apostle Paul gave in foundation. But then in verse number 11, he makes this statement. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we talked about this verse the last time we were here, saying that when it comes to our service as Christians, we understand that the foundation that Paul laid is one of Jesus Christ. And that all, and, and I know this is not popular amongst our particular crowd, uh, amen, but I, you know, I don't run in circles, amen, you run in circles, you don't get anywhere, amen. Uh, I just try to believe the Bible and serve uh, the Lord by the dictates of the Word of God. But I'll say this, it's not popular in a lot of our Baptist churches to say this, but I do believe that when we go to heaven, uh, I, I, we're not Baptist briders, amen. When we go to heaven, there's going to be more than Baptists there, amen. The only thing it takes to go to heaven is that you genuinely place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be other denominations there. Now, I don't agree with all of those things uh, doctrinally. That's why I am what I am. But when it comes down to that simple, that, that simple do, uh, gospel message, if you believe that Jesus died for you, if you believe you're a sinner, you believe Jesus died for your sins, and you place your faith in Him, and you genuinely do that, and you mean it with your whole heart, uh, God will save you. And God, if you are believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He made that promise to save you, and we'll go to the same heaven together. I'm glad that there is no isolation when it comes to who can believe. So here, the foundation of it all, He says, is Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. We are living, and I mentioned this last time, we are living in a day today to where simply saying, I am a follower of Jesus, is not enough if you want to make sure that you're going to a church that has the right doctrine, whether you're listening uh, to preaching where uh, the doctrine is right. Just because someone claims to be a Christian does not mean that you are to be a follower of that person. Uh, there are plenty of folks that you will come into contact with on television or on the internet uh, that I would not encourage you to listen to or to be followers of and to try to incorporate their doctrine into your life because it's simply not that way according to the Bible. Uh, yes, we are all in Christ. We are He is our foundation and we all have a role that we need to play. But here uh, Paul is saying that uh, talking about division and in division we need to understand uh, that we all are saved by the same grace. We all have the same Savior. That's what happens when it comes to division. But when it comes to doctrine we need some more identifiers. And so we began two weeks ago to talk about our identity and we hear and when it comes to visitors uh, we don't throw this on anybody but I also uh, you know we want people to come in. Uh, I, want, I, I want the drunks to come in. I want the drug addicts to come in. I want the piercing folks to come in. I want whatever society looks at and says that is the ask, uh, uh, that is the, uh, the outcast of society. I want the outcast because Jesus wants the outcast and I want to give the gospel to those folks. Amen. There is no person that is not welcome here at Beacon Baptist Church. There is no, uh, there is no class of society that's not welcome here at Beacon Baptist Church. However, I do think it is very important for us. While we do not 
ostracize anybody and we do not exclude anybody from being welcome here. If you're going to come to Beacon Baptist Church, we want you to at least know what we are. And I don't believe in hiding what we are. Amen. I don't believe in hiding what we believe. Amen. And so, by the way, there's a lot of churches that are doing that now. Amen. Uh, to, for whatever reason, many to gain a crowd or to gain popularity or whatever, they are removing their identifying marks that we need for doctrinal purposes. When you go to a church and it says United Methodist Church on the sign, you know what they believe. When it says Oneness Pentecostal on the sign, you know what they believe. When it says Baptist on the sign, you have a pretty good idea of at least foundationally what that individual believes. And so I've, I've, had, I've had preachers that I've known in the past that have been Baptist by doctrine but removed it off of their sign to, to try to not be offensive. And I don't, I don't believe in being offensive unless the Bible itself is offensive. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to come at anybody. But I think it's deceptive not to tell people what you are and what you believe. Amen. And so we here at Beacon Baptist Church, those of you that are members here, you know this. Those of you that are visiting with us, it may be first time even coming in contact with a church like ours. But the full name of what we are, we call ourselves Independent Fundamental Baptist. And what that means, I always insert Bible believing in there. Amen. Because out more than independent, more than fundamental, even more than Baptist is that we believe the Bible. And we try to do everything we do in these walls and outside of these walls based on the fact that we believe the Bible and we believe it is the final authority of all of our faith and all of our practice in life. And so we try to live by the dictates of Scripture. We talked about what it meant that moniker independent meant. What it means is, is simply that, that we are independent. Our church does not have an organizational head above it. We do not have a convention over us. Nobody but the Word of God and the Spirit of God tells us how to run our church. And that is consistent when you study the Scriptures, when you study the New Testament in your Bible. That is consistent to the way that the early church was. The only exception would be that of the ministry of an apostle where they would go in and before, in a day before the Bible was complete, God used the apostles to come into churches to send letters like this 1 Corinthians letter uh, to the, 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 the churches as they were just getting started and just getting developed uh, before there ever was anything of this kind in this moment. Paul would send letters and that's where their doctrine, that's where their beliefs, that's what that word doctrine means, what we teach, what we believe. That's where the beliefs would come from. God gave them to the apostles. The apostles shared them with the churches and that is how we have our doctrinal uh, beliefs. Amen. So, but we are independent. No one tells us what we can do by way of church organization, by way of church business, and no one tells us what we can preach or what we cannot preach. You'd be surprised how many denominations out there they send their they send their uh, paperwork to their churches, and in that denomination, all of those pastors are preaching the same thing on given weeks of the year because they're being told what they are to be preaching uh, to their churches by their denominational headquarters. Uh, nobody in this room, unless I share it with them, knows what I'm going to be preaching. Amen. Uh, I try to follow the Lord in that. I try to let God lead us in that. All of the preachers that we have in this church, amen, including me, there is, I believe, six of us, amen. And all of us together that God has called to preach, whether it's me as the 
senior pastor, Brother Lewis as the assistant pastor, Dr. Caldwell as our pastor emeritus, or any of uh, the other what we would call lay preachers or church preachers here. Uh, no, none of us uh, have to ask anyone but God uh, what we're going to be preaching on. Amen. So we're independent in that. We're trying to follow the biblical example of independence. Now, I want to briefly try to deal with the word fundamental uh, for, a, for a few moments this morning. Uh, the word fundamental means serving as or being an essential part of something. It is a foundation or a basis for something. When you say something has, uh, that something is fundamental, you're saying that it is an essential part. It is something uh, that cannot be done away with. It is vital. It is necessary. If you removed a fundamental from something, uh, you will change it, whatever it is. And so therefore, if you, if you think about what Paul is saying here, no other foundation can any man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the foundation and we remove Jesus from what we teach or, if, or what we preach, we have completely altered who we are as a church, who we are as believers. He is our central message. He is the focal point of everything we believe, everything we think, everything we do, or at least that's the way it ought to be. If you remove him from the equation, we go from being a local New Testament Bible-believing church, and we become nothing more than a social club that's getting together, having some singing. Every once in a while, like last week, we'll have a special day where we have some food, and that's about it. You remove Jesus from what we do, we're not doing more than just hanging out together. Amen? Uh, this, is, this, is no, this is no different than any other club or any other gathering place. You can get, if we remove Jesus from this, you can get what we get here at a ball game somewhere. Amen? Because all you're getting is hanging out and fellowship and good time if Jesus is not uh, the center of what we do. So a fundamental is something you cannot remove from who we are lest we completely alter our identity. When we say we're independent, it means that we are in our church, just and other churches have that same name, that, that same moniker, Independent Baptist. They're separate from us. We don't tell Gantt Street what to do. We don't tell Gethsemane what to do. We don't tell Calvary what to do. We don't tell Galilean what to do. We don't tell you put in the church here that fits that same moniker. We are Beacon Baptist Church, and we handle Beacon Baptist Church. I don't pastor them. I pastor here. You don't attend there, you attend here. We don't vote on their business, we vote on our business. Amen. So we're even different from each other. But fundamental is something that unites all of us because when we say we're fundamental, what we are talking about is we are talking about what our church believes. Amen. You think about this example about what fundamental is. You know, and this is, uh, y'all, I've, I've, I've used this carnal illustration here before, but and when I was young, uh, when I was young, a passion of mine sport-wise was basketball. If you want to talk football, I'm not your guy. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even understand all of the rules of football to talk about it intelligently. I, I, if you want me to watch a game with you, I'll watch it with you. Amen. I definitely don't understand tennis. I don't understand how all the, the ranking works. I, don't, I, I barely understand golf. Amen. All I know is you hit a ball really, really hard and you're trying to get it, amen, down to where the little bitty hole is and you try to do it in the least amount of strokes possible. Outside of that, 
don't try to talk to me about too much. However, uh, if you want to talk about basketball, that was something that was passionate of mine for a long time. And, uh, you know, there's, there's still some things from those days that I enjoy talking about. I'm not so, and I hope this don't, I hope this don't hurt any of our basketball loving folks in here, but I'm, I'm someone that is of the, uh, the camp that I don't think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever play. My favorite player growing up was always Michael Jordan. And, uh, you know, you may say, preacher, you're not old enough. Yes, he retired when I was five years old from the Bulls. <laughs> I understand that. But I do remember watching him in the, in the early 2000s, and I loved him then, too. I've seen enough uh, clips, and I've studied enough footage, amen, to where he is my favorite. And, uh, you know, about basketball, one of the things that they taught us about playing basketball, and I played for a number of years when I was in school. Uh, me and my brother also played a lot just at home. That was about all we did uh, until God, uh, God moved me into opening up a lot of doors for preaching, and that became my passion. Uh, and I, I excluded all of the rest of that and put it behind me. But here, you know, I think about a fundamental. And the, the reason I mention basketball is because if you're studying that sport, uh, more than just about any other sport I know, you will hear that word come up in your training, that you need to learn the fundamentals of the sport. Uh, what, one of the fundamentals that they ignore in professional basketball today is the most fundamental thing to the game of basketball, and that is every step you take, you should be dribbling the ball. You watch a lot of these professional guys, they'll take 15 steps on their way to a dunk with the ball tucked into their arm like it's a football. Uh, that does not follow the fundamentals of the sport. If you stop dribbling, you stop moving and you've got to pass. And so that's a fundamental. And I mentioned Michael Jordan a minute ago. You know why I think he's the greatest basketball player to ever live? Because all of his peers said this about him. They said he, had, he is the most fundamental player that we've ever seen. He has. He is the greatest at the little things, the greatest at the fundamentals of the sport. And it's the fundamentals of a sport, it's the fundamentals of anything that separates greatness from failure. And here as we apply that to a, a, to a spiritual sense, and of course it is much more, uh, is much more serious than any game that could be played. When it comes to Christianity, if we remove the fundamentals or think that they are not important, enough uh, to believe and to understand, then we lose and we lose Christianity uh, the way that God meant for it to be received. You fundamentally change what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian if you remove the fundamentals of what we believe. Many folks consider themselves to be Christians, but and they'll even call themselves Christians, but you cannot adequately, you can call them Christians or saved, but there are some out there who may they have truly trusted Jesus as their Savior, but in their minds you cannot truly call them fundamentalists. Do you realize this, that a, a recent study said that over 50% of people who claim to be Christians do not believe in absolute truth. That, that three out of every four people that you may interview that says they're a Christian, that is 75% says that they believe that truth is relative. In other words, that what is true is contingent upon your perspective. 
from which way you're looking at it. Can I say this, and, and this is not complicated, but can I say this this morning? If it is truth, it's not relative. Because if it is, you know, you thought you would never have to explain these things. We're living in a day, though, where we talk about his truth and her truth and their truth. No, friend, if it is true, then it is true. There's only one other option if it's not true, and that is that it has to be false. It can be your version of true. It either is true as it actually is, or it's not not true. It is false. That's the way that word works. Amen. I, we, we had our youth activity on Friday night and one of the things that we did was it was we, we, we had a game and you had to buzz in the Bible trivia answers. We had little buzzers and you hit the buzzer and you had to buzz it in and uh, amen. I capitalized on somebody else and got a point because Brother Daniel it was a true or false question and they got it wrong. <laughs> they said true and they got it wrong. And so soon as she said, no, that ain't, Miss Valerie said, no, that ain't it. I hit my buzzer and I said, it's false. She said, that's right. <laughs> now, amen. I can be an opportunist if I want to be. Amen. I got the point because I knew if it wasn't one, it had to be the other. Amen. That's the way truth works. Amen. And so when we say that we are fundamentalists, we say that we believe that the Bible is absolutely yes. true. Yes. And what this book says, if it is absolutely true, then everything it says is a fundamental doctrine for us. And we cannot cut this book apart with a penknife and say, I'm going to believe that, but I'm not going to believe this. We believe the Bible as it is entirety. And if God put it in this book, we read it the way that God wrote it, interpret it the way that God intended for it to be, and we believe it and practice it exactly the way that is put in the Bible. Amen. It, you know, there's a lot of folks today that say that the Bible is figurative and it just teaches us a good way to live. No, there's a lot of figurative things in the Bible. But if God wants us to understand it figuratively, He will let us know that He is speaking figuratively. You think about all the times in the New Testament Jesus told them this is a parable. In other words, this is a story with a lesson. It did not necessarily have to be true, depending on how you view the parables. Now, I believe Jesus had access to all of history, and Jesus didn't have to make stuff up. I believe he could have pulled from a real event to teach that story. Amen. But if I get to heaven and found out he made up every detail, it doesn't shake my faith at all. Why? Because he said it was a parable. Right. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Throughout the Bible, we see that the Bible will tell us <coughs> what is figurative <coughs> and what is not. Take your Bible with me, please, to Luke chapter number 1. Brother Tommy, I don't know how you do this every week. <coughs> I don't see any way me being done this morning. I'm going to let Tommy do next week. I'll give him a few weeks in, and then maybe I'll come back if we don't finish. Luke chapter number 1. I'm going to give you a few foundation things we believe. And if you turn fast and we read fast, then we can move through some of these this morning. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verse 26. 
The Bible says this, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Notice verse 27. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 31 says, And behold, the angel speaking to Mary says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be <coughs> no end. Verse 34, the Bible said, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come uh, on, upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Uh, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Do you notice what your Bible said there? That is one of the fundamentals that we believe in. We believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Some Bibles would tell you that she was a young lady, or she was a young woman, or she was a young uh, maiden. But here the Bible specifically says she was a virgin. Now let me ask you this. And there's, by the way, there's a lot of there's a lot of people, there's a lot of churches out there of all denominations, and there are scores of pastors out there that will tell you that they do not believe in a virgin birth. Let me ask you this question if that is the case. We read, we started in verse 26, and then we skipped over to verse 31 and read through verse number 35. Here's my question. If virgin there does not mean virgin and simply means a young lady, then what is the point and the angel and Mary's conversation between verse 31 and 35? Why would Mary look unto her and say, unto a look unto the angel and say, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And this is our adult class, so I, I think I can I think I can say this without offending anybody. We all know what it means there when she says, "Seeing I know not a man," it is talking it is talking about a sexual knowledge. She is saying, "Because I have never been intimate with a man in that way." That's her question. How can I have a child considering I have never known a man? I've never had a physical relationship with a man. How is this possible? What is the purpose of this conversation? Why would Mary bring that up if she wasn't a virgin? Well, number one, she's describing what a virgin is by saying she's never known a man. But what's the purpose in this conversation? If she's not a virgin, if she's just a young girl. God put that in there for clarity. He put it in there not only as a historical reference, but so that you and I that are being duped and deceived by so-called religious leaders would know what, what uh, fundamentals of the faith to believe in. Amen. We truly believe that uh, when we say we're independent and fundamental, part of that fundamental is we believe in the necessity of a virgin birth. Amen. Because the Bible teaches it. Number two, take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3.
And we're turning to these because I want you to put your eyes on them. And I know for many of you I'm preaching to the choir, but there may just be some in here that might need to hear not only some. And by the way, the list I'm giving you right now is not exhaustive. You want the exhaustive list. You spend your, your year this year. You start in Genesis. You read the Revelation. And you'll get the exhaustive list. Amen. I can't preach to you the whole Bible in, in, in less than an hour of time. Amen. I can, bar I can barely give you a, a few verses in that amount of time. Amen. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, another fundamental that we believe in as independent fundamental Baptists is not only the virgin birth of Christ, but the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. Verse 16 says this. This again is Paul writing to Timothy. God is leading him to say this. God, the Bible says that it is God that is, uh, that is God that's giving him these words to write. He said this, all Scripture... That is what we have in our hands. Right. All of the writings from God. Script means writing. All of the writings from God. All Scripture is given. Now, that means that we have not always had it. That means that it is not inherently of man. It has been given to us from somebody else. All Scripture is given. Now, how is it given? How was it delivered to us? It was delivered by inspiration of God. Literally, that inspiration, you think about uh, S-P-I-R, that's in the middle of that word, inspiration. Spear is the, it would be the same root that you find in the word spirit. The, it, is, it, it means to breathe. It means to have breath. Inspiration. When Inspiration is how God gave us the Scriptures, how God delivered the Scriptures. In other words, it's God spoke them to us. Just like for me to speak to you right now, if I didn't have breath, I couldn't talk. It takes breath to produce sound across my vocal cords and to take that sound across my tongue and past my teeth and out of my mouth to where you can hear it. If you don't have breath, you don't talk. And by the way, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for this kind of breath, we would not have received what God has said to us. When the Bible says it's given by inspiration of God, what it means is, is that it's God's Word. It has come directly from God. It is a declaration from Him. When you hear people say that man wrote the Bible, it is not consistent with this verse. That's right. That's right. When you, when I say men wrote the Bible, I'm not talking about the ones that penned it down. I'll deal with that more in a minute if we have time. But when God gave us the Bible, these are not the words of men, even though God used them to put them down on paper as human instruments. But they're God's words. I have on my paper, I have some things that I've typed out, and then I also have some notes that I, read, that I wrote down uh, on my paper as well for my notes this morning. The, nobody in here, I doubt, that, let, let me say that, I doubt anybody in here would say that when I sat at my desk and I put those words on the paper, I don't think anybody in here would argue with me that those words are not my words. Right. Right. They're my words. They came from my mind. But I did not put them on the paper. This instrument did. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, right. That's the way God gave us the Bible. 
God's finger did not give us the Bible unless you include those Ten Commandments. He used men as his pen to put it down on paper that was in this world. But just as the words that I wrote down on my outline this morning and this instrument used the ink inside of it and placed it on the page, it was me that gave this pen what to write and then the power also to write the words on the page. That was how God used Paul to give us these words to Timothy. God used Paul as the pen, but he was the brain and the power behind the penman. That's how inspiration works. All, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what we believe. For reproof. That is, how, that, that is when we need to be told how to get right. Uh, for correction. Uh, that is direction for us on how to be right. And then instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right, if you will. So the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. More technically I can say this, that if you are a Bible believing fundamentalist like we are here at Beacon Baptist Church, you believe and by, this is going to be some Bible college terms, y'all don't have to write this down or anything like that, but we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures. What verbal means is, is it sounds, you know, it sounds like how we use the word when we talk about verbal, it's what somebody said. But verbal in its definition means more than that. Verbal means something that is minutely exact in words. It means something that is literal. It means having word answering to word. So when we say we believe in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures, what that means is, is that we believe that God gave us the Bible word for word. Every word in the scripture has come from God. It is literal. It is to be interpreted that way. It is exactly the way that God wanted it to be. And you would be surprised how many churches in this country you will walk in and you will find people that say that they do not believe that the Bible is perfect in every word. I'll say this as well. We are identifying our church. Everyone here knows what Bible, at least most of you do at least, I would imagine. You know what Bible we use. We hear, not that we, not that we look down on folks that don't. In my life I've used others before I study the subject out. But the Bible that we preach from here, we teach from here, we study here, we promote in daily Bible reading is the King James Version of the Bible. I believe if you study the version issue you will find out that in the English language this is the one that a man can stand, a woman can stand in a, a man can stand in a pulpit a man or a woman can have in their lap at home and be able to make the, make the, uh, the, the distinction that every word that I have is perfect and I can believe it. Amen. Anyone else that holds a different position on the English Bible than we do and I, I'm telling you I've talked to dozens of them, I've been a part of their church Churches. I've heard them preach before I ever understood this. I have not always been exactly where I am. I've studied this and that's why I am what I am. Every other group out there that does not hold that King James position says that we do not believe that we have the Word of God, but our Bible contains the Word of God.
In other words, you, they, here, I've heard them say this, you cannot have a perfect Bible. They say you cannot have a perfect Bible. However, God here said all Scripture right. is given by inspiration of God. Every word came from God. Now you answer me this. If it is God that has given us all Scripture, if it is God that has given us every single word, if He is the brain and He is the power behind the instrument of truth, He's the one that put the ink on the paper using a human instrument, but it was his mind and his power that made that happen. Then how is it if he, the perfect God, gave us all Scripture, how is it we do not have a perfect Bible? God is saying here he wants his children to believe that his word is exactly perfect. We believe in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. And then I'll close with this this morning. We're getting close to time. We believe in the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. And that is a big word that simply means this. We believe in the full or complete revelation of the Bible. God gave us word for word for word for word exactly what He wanted us to have. And now in the Bible that we have in our hands, there's nothing that needs to be added to it. It is complete. It is full. You do not need the Apocrypha to have a whole Bible. Amen. You do not need extra lost books. There's a reason why God let them get lost. Amen. If it's God's Word and He wants you to have it, and He wanted you to have it so much that He wrote you a Bible and preserved it to today so you could have it in your language, He's not going to let His words get lost. What you have in your hand, I've said this to you before in preaching, it's not all that God knows, but it's all that God needed us to know. We cannot handle all that God knows. He's God. He's infinite. He's all-knowing. Our brains are not capable of understanding everything that God knows. But the truths that He wanted us to know and tried to master it to the best that we can in life will never be perfect. We'll never get there. We'll never master it all. But I believe our hearts ought to strive to, to obey that Bible as close as we can. The things that He wanted us to strive to be obedient in is what He gave us. He gave us every word. And he gave us something that was complete. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. <laughs>